Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we spend a few moments looking into your word again today, we ask that you would teach us. You know what you want to say to each one of us. It's different for each of us. But you have a desire to teach us, to encourage us, to challenge us, whatever it is, Lord. May we listen to your voice this morning, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to ask you something. Have you ever really longed for something? I don't mean just wanted something. Not put it on your Christmas list. These are the things I would like. A new bike, etc, etc. But really, really longed for something. You ever been like that? Something that you really just... It consumes you. It consumes your thinking. It consumes everything there is about you. Kind of like when I was um, younger, I was in, a, uh, in the Cubs. And we, had to, uh, we were away at camp and we had to build this raft across this pond. Kind of a lake pond thing. It wasn't very deep. But we built this thing and, uh, and then somebody had to volunteer to sit on it and then get it pushed across the lake, you see. And so I volunteered. It's kind of a venturesome young fella. And so I, I say, oh, I'll sit on it, that's fine. So they shoved this raft out into the middle of this big pond. And it was all going really well until it started to tip. And eventually what happened was the raft flipped right over and I went flying into the water. And everybody, I could see them laughing on the bank, going, yes, we deliberately did this to get him wet. The only problem was that I then got stuck underneath this raft. My leg got caught in some of the, the rope lashing that hadn't got properly done up. And I couldn't get up above the surface. All I could see was this wooden raft above me. And I started to think like, what am I going to do? And I tried to get out from underneath, but I couldn't get out. And I tried to stand on the bottom because it wasn't very deep, but it was really full of silt and mud. And my legs just dropped down in and I just kept falling over. And then I started to panic because I realized that I'm about to drown. I started to try and get air into my lungs because you just stop thinking in those moments. And I opened my mouth and I started gulping down loads of pond water, which wasn't very nice. And then serious panic took over. I just started going crazy. I just started ripping at anything I could rip at because everything in my whole body said, you need air, you need oxygen. If you don't get oxygen in the next 20, 30 seconds, you're going to die underneath this raft and there'll be serious consequences for the cub leader over there laughing on the bank. In fact, he wasn't laughing by then because I think he started to realize that maybe something was slightly wrong when I hadn't reappeared. And I just started panicking and I started... And I didn't care what was happening to me and I started getting cuts and bruises and I was trying to get my feet on the ground, on the thing, but I kept slipping over and I started to try and break and finally I managed to push my head up in between. I managed to loosen two of these big planks enough to get my head up in between the raft and gulp down some oxygen. And I had cuts, I had bruises, I was a mess. But I was so desperate to have air inside of me. Because I realized if I didn't get that, I was going to drown. 
That's the kind of yearning I'm talking about. Have you ever wanted something that bad? No. Not even your wife. She's not in here at the moment, is she? (laughs) Because Jesus said, we've been looking together at the Beatitudes. The things that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts off and he says, in today's one, the fourth Beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when he says they hunger and thirst, that is the kind of hunger and the thirsting that he's talking about. Not when it's a hot day and you go, oh I fancy a glass of water and you do the tap and you drink it and you go, ah, that was nice. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that moment where you just want a little bit of something. He's talking about when you want it all. When, when it's so desperate that that is the only thing that consumes you. When you wake up in the morning and that's what's consuming you. When you go to bed at night and that's what's consuming you. That you have that kind of a passion, that kind of a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God says, then you are blessed. And blessed, remember, means not just happy, it means that God is going to pour His blessings into you because this is how He wants you to be. Now remember the context. This is the fourth one. The first one, He says, blessed are those... If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5, verse 3. First one says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognise that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. That they recognise that before God they have absolutely nothing they can bring. We have nothing that God wants. It would be nice if we did, if we could start making some deals. But you can't. I love people who try to make deals with God. God, if you do this for me, I'm going to do this for you. As if God needed what we have to offer anyway. Blessed are the poor in spirit means that we are, we actually, there's nothing we can offer God that God needs. And we recognise that. And we need to recognise our bankruptcy before God. That we're in debt. And there's no way we can pay it. And we need to come to that point of recognition. And then when we do that, it says the second one, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those... He's going to pour his blessing into those who recognise not only that they're bankrupt, but that they're bankrupt, we are bankrupt because of what we've done. That we're mourning our sin, as we call it. Mourning everything that we do that breaks the relationship with God. Because we say, I'm going to go this way, God. Thank you very much. I know what you you want. You want me to go that way. But I'm going to go this way because I prefer this way. This is the way I can choose, this is, this is my direction, this is where I want to go. And Jesus is constantly calling us and saying, turn around, go the other way. Go the way I want you to go. And we're going, yeah, well, we know you've got, it's got some merit. But no, thank you, I'm going to go this way. And then we say, when we mourn, we realise what we're doing in our relationship, that actually we're going, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'm messing up. I'm not going the way you want me to go. I'm not doing the things you want me to do. And we mourn, we mourn that loss. Just in the same way we mourn when we lose a loved one. He's using the same language that we mourn the fact that we're hurting our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he said, blessed are the meek. The meek, what was meekness? Do you remember? Power under control. Exactly right. 
Blessed are those who know that there is power available, but we have it under the control of Jesus Christ. That we are walking in his way. But we have everything that we need, because he gives it to us, but it's under his control. It's when we're obedient to him. That's the context. And then he says this today, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, he's saying, blessed are those, I'm going to pour my blessing into those who have a passion for God, who are seriously, passionately focused on God. You know when you have a passion for something? Does anybody have a passion for something? Don't say Jesus just because you're in church. Something else. Some people are passionate about football. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you better not say Liverpool right now because they lost three in a row, I think. Everton? Yes. Everton are doing better. See? I'm, gl- I'm glad the Merseysiders are separated here. It's like Manchester on one side, Everton on the other. You know. Liverpool, Everton, Man-, Man United, Man City. Oh, now you're going downhill rapidly now. You know, chocolate. You know, but you know when you're passionate about something, it fills everything there is, doesn't it? You know, you know when you fall in love. Do you remember those sickening moments? You know, you know two young lovers, they're just hopeless, aren't they? They're pathetic, right? They're completely useless to the world. Karen's been working in the office with Ronnie. They have desks facing one another, right? They sit there going, oh, you know, it's not true, I'm just teasing, but I felt like getting a little heart shape, you know, and putting red tinsel around it just so they could look through it at one another, you know, that's passion, right, but you know what I'm talking about, we were in a youth club, we were in a youth group, running a youth group in Canada years ago, and there was a couple of there that fell in love. They've they since got married and are missionaries now, but then they were in the courting stage. They were useless to us. They spent the whole time just staring at each other, going, ah. Oh. <laughs> and we go like, did you hear what I said? Hmm, what? Like, it was just pointless than them being there even, really. You know? But that's what passion does. And Jesus is saying, we need to have that same passion for righteousness that we have for other things. Your passion for righteousness should exceed your passion for Liverpool or Everton or any other football team. You know, sometimes I wonder, to be honest. You know, for my birthday, my, my two sons are passionate Arsenal fans. I pray for them every day, but it's, yeah. But they, for, my, for my birthday, they bought me a ticket to go with them to, to the Emirates to see Arsenal on the opening day of the season. Do you want to see passion? Go to a football match. There is so much. I thought, why did I bother? Well, I didn't actually buy the seat, but I'm thinking, what's the point of having a seat? You're never in it. You're there the whole time. They're singing these songs about the referee and the opposition that are not repeatable in churches. But they're there singing, they're passionate about... You know, some people are so passionate about football that their whole week is ruined if their team loses, isn't it? They're like, you know, why are you so miserable? Well, Arsenal lost, or Arsenal only drew. 
I'm like, man. But that's the kind of passion Jesus says we are to have. More than that. Way, way more than that. We should not see more passion in a football stadium than we see in God's church. You know? And we go to a load of churches and I think, where's the passion for God? You know, I can go to the Emirates and get passion, but why can't I see it in God's church? Jesus said, blessed are those who are passionate for righteousness. I love an illustration from Socrates. So apparently one day some pompous young guy came to him and said, Socrates, I would like to have your knowledge. And Socrates looked at him and went, yeah, right, okay. And he said, come with me then. If you really want my knowledge, come with me. And so he took him down and he took him to the seas and he, he waded up to his chest in the water and he shoved him underneath. And he kept his hands on this guy's head. And the guy finally came up. He let him up after about 30 seconds. He said, what do you really want? He said, I want your knowledge, O great Socrates. And so he shoved him under again. And he held him for 45 seconds and he let him up and he said, what do you want? I want your wisdom, O great Socrates. So he shoved him under again. And he said, let him down there for a minute. And then finally the guy came up and he said, what do you want? He said, I want your knowledge, Socrates. And he shoved him under again. And he held him down until the guy was coughing and spluttering and finally let him up. And he said, what do you want? He said, I want oxygen. And he said, when you want knowledge as much as you want air, come back to me and I'll teach you. Because God is saying the same thing to us. Do we really, really, are we really that passionate about righteousness? That we really want it? How badly do we want the things of God in our lives? We've sung, my soul is thirsty for you Lord. Is it? Is it really? Is it as thirsty on Wednesday, Thursday this coming week as it is right now? You see, the starting point for any achievement is desire, isn't it? A weak desire brings weak results. When I was in school, you know, I used to have report cards that used to say, not bad, could do better. Why? Well, because I wasn't honestly that interested in school. I couldn't see much point in most of it, to be honest, when I was in high school. I was like, yeah, I'll do the work, I'll sell through, but I didn't really put too much effort into it. I, I did it so that I could hand it in, get a passing grade and get out and go and do the things I wanted to do. My heart wasn't in it. When God finally said, you know what, I'm going to send you to, to Bible school. I want you to learn about the Bible. You know, then I was reading, then I was studying, then I was agonizing over every assignment I had. Not because I wanted it to be the best, but I wanted to learn and grow. I, I was just soaking it in. I was thinking, you know what? This is an amazing opportunity. Maybe I'll never get this opportunity again in my life to sit here and read God's Word and try and understand God's Word and do these kind of things that I'm doing, learning about all these things. Let me just get it and get it and get it. So I used to go off and I'd spend time in the library on my own. Outside of any assignments, just getting books out and start reading them for my own interest. I read the, the uh, Jewish commentary on the Old Testament because I wanted to understand what the Jews thought about the Old Testament as much as what the Christians think about it. It's their, it's their book, after all. So I just started reading it on my own because I, I just was hungry and I thought this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. When you have desire... 
Then you'll see the results. When desire is not there, so often we're so half-hearted in what we do. It's like a candle versus a bonfire. You think about a candle. It's so vulnerable, isn't it? One little puff of wind and the candle blows out. What, what kind of heat comes out of a candle? You have to put your hands right up like this. Well, you remember you put your finger through it like this, can't you? Everybody does that. To, to you leave it there too long and it burns. But, you know, and it keeps blowing out if there's any wind around. You think about a massive bonfire on bonfire night. Right? If we built a huge bonfire in here, right? Well, best not in here, but outside. Right? You can't get that close to it for starters. Why? Everybody's standing around and it's just too hot. You can't, how are you going to put it out? Well, you have to wait till it burns out. You can't just, I'm just going to throw a little bit of water on it. It doesn't work. You can't stick your fingers together and lick them and just go, Psst, and it's out. It wouldn't work. That's because that bonfire is full of energy, it's full of everything. There's a great desire there, rather than a little candle. And Jesus said we need that kind of desire in our lives. How desperately do you want to grow in your relationship with God? Because he said, blessed, I'm going to pour in my blessing into those who have that strong, strong passion, passionate desire for the things of righteousness. Now what's righteousness all about? Well there's three kinds of righteousness in the Bible. This is about all of them. Three different aspects to righteousness. Firstly, righteousness means literally a right relationship with God. So he says, I'm going to pour my blessing into those who are passionate about having a right relationship with me. That comes from salvation. That comes where we are walking in this direction and we say, I'm doing the things I want to do. And we say, God, turn me around. That's what repentance is. It's a 180. It's saying, you're going this way, you're going your own way. God, I don't want to go that way anymore. Turn me around and let me go towards the things of you. I want a relationship with you. I want to walk in your way, not in my way. Told you before, I was sitting at a party one night, I've been in church my whole life, but I said, Lord, tonight, from now on, I do not want to go my way. You take my life, you plan my life out, let me follow the plan you have for my life, not the plan I have for my life. Because I saw where that was going. And I said, Lord, turn me around. And that night, Jesus turned me around. It wasn't that I hadn't believed before, because I knew that Jesus was real, I just... I believed him, I came to church every week, but I hadn't allowed him to turn me around so that I was following him instead of following my own direction. You can be in church your whole life and never let him turn you around. You can be here week after week, you can be church treasurer if you want. You can be church secretary. You can even preach. I was reading that uh, Nikolai Khrushchev, is it? From Russia? Nikita, Nikita Khrushchev. Do you know, when he was a young boy, the priest, to get the young children to come to church, he bribed them with sweets. He said, if you come to, if you come to Sunday club, we'll give you a sweet every time you come. And so he had loads of kids. And Nikita was one of those kids. And then he said, if you learn the scriptures, we'll give you some more sweets. He learned off by heart all four Gospels. He could recite them. One time in church, they got him out the front, and from memory, he recited all four Gospels. 
This is the guy that later in his life said there is no God. He was there, he could recite it, Karl Marx was the same. He could recite it, but it wasn't in his heart. It was just sweets in his heart, or in his belly. And that's the difference, you can be in church your whole life and never have that encounter with Jesus that sends you in the right way. And he's saying you need to turn, you need to go that way. You need to be where he is. That is what righteousness is about. You need to be in a right relationship with him. The second aspect of it is about living then a holy life. Once you have that right relationship, then God says, be holy for I am holy. Do the things that please him. It's just like in any relationship. I don't try and do the things that annoy my wife. She doesn't try and do the things that annoy me. Why not? Because we love each other. Simple as that. You know, so I try and do things that encourage her, that are good for her, that that build her up. And she does the same for me. She tries to protect me. I try to protect her. I try to encourage her. She tries to encourage me. When she sees me being down, she lifts me up. When I see her down, I lift her up. And that's what Jesus is saying. The second thing about righteousness is about following what God wants us to do. He says, read my words and in my word I'll tell you what I want you to do and follow it. Simple as that. So you've got to know it and then follow it. And when we follow it, we then work out our righteousness, it says, that we work it out day by day. There's no point in having that right relationship with Jesus and then we just go off and do our own thing and hurt him every time. How's that showing our love towards and respect towards Jesus Christ? And then we come to church on Sunday and say, Lord, thank you, I'm sorry, let me go do it again. You know, a relationship with someone else wouldn't last very long like that. We call that abuse. And the third thing is about corporately together. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And what we're saying is, Lord, we want to see your kingdom, your values, your, your presence here on earth around us. And part of righteousness is us going out and doing that. It's saying when there is um, injustice that we tackle it. We're not just silent. Where there is war that we do what we can to bring things together. We pray or we go. Where we see things that are not right, not of the kingdom, we do something about it. That's why as churches together, we're involved in street pastors, in the food bank, in the homeless shelter. Because we see things in our community that are not right. And we, have, we can't just sit there and go, oh this is terrible. Dear oh dear oh dear, I wish someone would do something about it. Jesus says, you do something about it. You go and feed my sheep. You go and feed my lambs. You go and help those. You know, in Matthew he says, doesn't he? When I was in prison, did you come? You know, when I was naked, did you give me clothes? When I was hungry, did you give me food? That's what it's all about. And so there's those three parts of righteousness. And he says, when you have a passion for all those, then you're going to be filled with God. Let's look at somebody who's a living example, was. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. This is about Moses. 
What can you tell me about Moses? What do you know about Moses? He parted the Red Sea. Before that, what else? Sorry? Yeah, he didn't like to speak, so he got his brother to uh, come and do all his talking for him. He murdered someone. Yeah. What else? He ran away after he murdered someone. Before that? He stood up to Pharaoh. The burning bush. Ten Commandments. Do you remember at the start? Killed an Israelite. But what about the very start of his life? Do you remember? The basket. Do you remember? Do you remember they were killing all the boy babies to stop the people of Israel expanding and get the, you know, because they were worried that they were going to get strong and rebel? And he must have learned that, mustn't he? Oh, let me tell you the story about when you were born. Because you remember, he was put in the basket, shipped off, and the, uh, the princess or whoever found him. And then, God intervened and got his mum, his real mum, to come and kind of nurse him in the palace. Do you remember? And do you not think that his mum was saying, let me tell you about what really happened. Let me tell you the story about how you were born. Let me tell you about how God protected you. Let me tell you, this is part of your life. Then, as you said, he grew up with that. He then saw an Egyptian beating up on an on a, uh, Israelite slave. He lost it, killed the Egyptian, ran away. Then what happened? Well, then he was out in Midian, tending sheep and goats. And then all of a sudden he saw this bush that was burning, but it wasn't burning. And out of the bush, when he came closer, the bush started to speak to him, which is kind of unusual. And it said, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And God had this conversation with him. And he starts there and he's going, whoa, imagine being there, seeing that. And then not only that, and he's, he's got all these questions and God says, what's in your hands? He said, oh, I've got my staff. And he says, throw it on the ground and it becomes a snake. And he's like, whoa, whoa, this is, this is a bit dodgy. And then God says, pick it up. And he reaches down and probably by the tail, picks it up and it becomes his stick again, his staff. And then God says, put your hand inside your jacket, inside your cloak. And he puts it in and he brings it out and it's covered in leprosy. And then he goes, oh my goodness, this is not so good. And then God said, put it back. And it comes out and it's clean again. And he's going, my goodness, what's going on? And then he comes back and God says, I'm going to send you back to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he goes back and Pharaoh is not too keen on the idea of losing his complete workforce. And so Pharaoh says, no. And God says, then I'm going to send plagues. And Moses goes into him and tells him and plagues come. And then they go, don't they? And then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, no, get them all back again. And so the whole Egyptian army is coming after them. They've got the sea on one side, the Egyptian army on the other. And God says, you know that staff that turned into a snake? Well, just hold it out over the water and the water starts parting. And he goes over the water. And then it all closes in. And then after that there's some miracles because they're going and they reach an oasis out in the desert, in the wilderness. And it's, and it's bitter water. It's horrible. They can't drink it. And Moses goes, Lord, you brought us out here and the water's no good. And Lord says, see that stick down there? Not your staff, but that little stick. Pick it up, throw it into the water. And he does that and the water becomes drinkable and sweet. And then the people start going, you know what, we need food. 
So Moses says, Lord, we need food. And he says, okay, I'm going to send you bread every day. Call it manna, which means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And so this manna comes and then they go, oh, I'm fed up with bread. We want meat. We want a burger. We want McDonald's. And so God says, okay, I'm going to send pigeons. So they ended up with pigeon pie every day. And that's what they're eating because they have the quail that comes. And God does all these things. And then there's other miracles and they go and they they meet other armies and Moses is there and he prays and God delivers them. And that's the context of where we're reading. All these things happen. Now imagine if you had that kind of CV. If you had that sort of experience of God, right? Would you be happy? If you had seen God work in all these kind of ways. I remember once when I was in Canada, I went for a job interview at McDonald's. I was desperate. Couldn't get a job. So I went to McDonald's because I thought they employ anybody, right? I was 30 or however I was, not very old. And the guy there, he looked at my CV, and I've been to Africa by then, I'd emigrated to Canada, I'd done this, that and the other. And he looked at my CV and he said, my goodness, I'd love to have your kind of CV by the time I retire. And I went, oh, this is not going well. And McDonald's turned me down. I've never forgiven them. That's why I go to Burger King, never McDonald's. No, I'm just joking. But it, like, he looked at my CV and he went, whoa, look at you. Like This guy had never left his home. You know, He was still there. He was, he was, lo- he was younger than me. And he'd never, he'd never really experienced the world. And I'd travelled and done this, that and the other. And he sort of said, you know, like, I'd love to have a CV that looked like that. He'd done so much. You imagine the kind of spiritual CV that Moses has at this point, right? Wouldn't you just love a tiny part of that? I wish I could have seen God in a burning bush. I wish I could have performed those kind of miracles that I see God working through me like that. And then this is what he says. Look at, look at chapter 33. Not only that, it says in verse 7 to, to, uh, to 11. We won't read it all. But he pitched this tent outside of, the, uh, of the, where everybody was camping. And he used to go there, and it says in verse 11, the Lord would, well, it says that the Lord would come down when Moses went in this tent of meeting, they called it. Then the pillar of cloud would come down over where Moses walked inside. And everybody would stand there and watch it and worship God. And it says in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Not literally face to face, but just as if he's speaking to, or I'm speaking to you. He would hear that clearly, the voice of God, as a man speaks with his friend. That's the kind of relationship that Moses has with God. Now you would think, man, he's arrived. This guy, he's got everything he should want. He's done all these things. He's got a CV in the Christian world as long as you could imagine. Amazing kind of relationship with God. If I was there, I'd be going, thank you Lord, that's it. I've I've done it all. And look what he says, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. This is Moses saying to the Lord, right? Normally in the Bible, it's the Lord says to Moses. But here, we have Moses, who's there? Just chatting with Jesus, chatting with God, saying to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, 
But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If I have found favour in your eyes, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. See the first thing he does. After all this stuff, he says, you know what? I want more of you, God. I want more of who you are. Teach me more and more and more. I'm not satisfied. Yeah, I've seen you in the burning bush. Yeah, I've seen you do miracles over and over and over again. Yeah, you've placed me in this position as the leader of these people to lead them out into the promised land. Yeah, I've seen your power at work. I've seen your spirit. I've seen what you do. I've seen who you are. But I want more. I'm not satisfied, God. I need to know you more. I want you to teach me more about who you are. I may know everything that you've told me up to this point, but there's more and I want more. Give me more. And here he is at this point where you would have thought he would be satisfied going, man, I'm pretty much there right now. He's going, no, no, no. I'm just at the start. He's going, teach me. Teach me more. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. He says, there's more to know about you, God. I need to know more about who you are. I haven't reached the end of it. I haven't reached everything that you are. I need to know more and more and more and more. And when you teach me the next bit, and I learn that, teach me something else. Keep on teaching me and teaching me and teaching me. Because I know that there's more and more and more to learn about you. And he has that heart that says, and that head that says, there's more. Why? Because I want to be finding favour with you. Not just today, but for the rest of my life. I want to know you as deep as I can know you. Teach me. Teach me your ways. I don't want to go wrong. I don't want to make a mistake. I just want to know you more and more and more. Then he says this, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Second thing he says, I want your presence. I don't just want to know you, although I want that. But I want your presence. I want your power of the Almighty God to be in me and in these people around me. I want your presence to be here with us. We need to be going together. We need to have the Holy Spirit, as we would say today, flowing in us and through us. So that we can accomplish what you want us to accomplish. It's no good just knowing you in our heads. It's no good just knowing your word and knowing what you expect of us. If we do not have the power of God to make that happen. And so he's saying also I want your presence, I want the power of God to come in us and through us. So that we can accomplish what you're asking us to do. If you're not going to do that, then don't even bother sending us. It's a waste of time because we're never going to accomplish it. Just leave us here, leave us alone. Go find someone else. 
That's what he's saying to God and God says, I've heard you and I will give you my power. I will be with you. I will accomplish what I'm going to accomplish through you. Through you and the people around you. And so he's asking, not just that his head will be filled with the knowledge of God, but that his soul will be open to Christ, open to the Spirit of God to fill it and use him. And then he's still not satisfied. Look what he says next. Then Moses says, Now show me your glory. He's pushing his luck a bit here, isn't he? And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to part all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Moses says, you know what, thank you for that Lord, like, yeah, thank you that you're going to continue to teach me. Thank you that your power will be coming in us and through us to accomplish what you want. But one more thing, I want to see you for who you are. I want to see your glory. I want to sit near you. I want my heart to connect with your heart. I want my whole being, my head, my soul, my heart to be where you are. I want to sit in your presence. I want to worship you. I never want to leave there. I want to, I want to have that moment where I recognize, I see the fullness of who you truly are. Not, not just a bit of you, not just so that I'm scratching at the surface, but that I see you, God. You know, it's an amazing thing to ask, isn't it? When Job finally met with God, he shut his mouth and he went, oh my goodness. When Isaiah was taken up into heaven, he says, I've had it. Habakkuk, his knees started to, qu- to quake and tremble. John, in Revelation, falls flat on his face and an angel has to pick him up and here's Moses going, I want to see it all. I just want to see it all. And here he is, this guy that's had all this experience of God and he has a heart that is hungering and thirsting for more. And Jesus says that heart needs to be in you and in me. Because he says, if it's in you and in me, what's going to happen? What does he promise in the Beatitude? It will be filled. Filled means it's like the fattened calf. What he's talking about is that it's bursting. It's just... It's Christmas Day and you've had the third helping of turkey and Brussels sprouts. You know what I'm talking about? You know when you get up and you go, oh I shouldn't even stand. Oh no, it hurts. It's so full. And you, you, you lie in your bed and you go, I can't lie, I can't lie on my back because it's just pressing down, it's too heavy. So you sort of heave yourself onto the side, you know, and the mattress sinks where your stomach is because it's so full. You know what I'm talking about. That's what he's talking about. The filling of God. He said, if you hunger 
for him. If you hunger for that relationship like Moses, he will fill you. He will fill you to overflowing. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. Have it to the full. And that is what God wants to bring to you and to me. Not just now, but right throughout our lives. The more we hunger for him, the more he will fill us. The question is, how hungry are you? You know, have you ever wondered why God uses certain people? seems more than others. I think it's just this very one thing. They're not more special. They're not more gifted than you or I. The only difference is that they have a hunger for God. And when they are hungry, if you are hungry for God, he will use you. Because he says, now finally my son David, I can use you. When you're hungry for me, you are open. You're open to the things of God. When you hunger for him, you, you like, it's like you open your heart, you open the channels and he comes in and he can use you. But if you're not hungry, if you're just satisfied on taking tiny little bits, then he's going, then, then I can't fill you. You're not looking to me, you're not open to me, I'm knocking at the door, but you're not letting me in. It's like a friend of mine in Canada. He came back late from work one night, he was working night shift. He came back and his wife was there, or his wife had cooked a pumpkin pie. And he was hungry. It's like three, four o'clock in the morning. And he went, oh. She'd left it out to cool down. She went, oh, pumpkin pie. She makes the best pumpkin, pumpkin pie. And he's looking at it and it's just saying, eat me. It was just speaking to him. Like that bush spoke to, it was just. So he had a bit. He knew he shouldn't because he knew that she'd probably made it for someone else. But he thought, well, I'll have a little bit. And it was the best pumpkin pie so he had a bit more and then he went oh my goodness it's like a quarter of the pie has gone I'm in trouble so he thought the only way out of this being a guy was to eat it all so that's what he did he ate the whole pumpkin pie but he left one tiny little bit And what he did was he took that tiny little sliver of pie and he sprinkled it around the cat. (laughs) What a guy. And he just sort of spread it around where the cat sleeps, smeared a bit of the pumpkin bit on the cat's bed. Now, how many wives would fall for that? I can count them on no fingers. He got the broom treatment the next day. But he wanted it all. He wasn't satisfied with just a little bit. And God says to us, you know, you've sung, my soul is thirsty for you, Lord. David, he's saying, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. David, why did God choose David? He's a man after his own heart. He was a man of passion. You think of David's life. He messed up all over the place, didn't he? He got people killed. He committed adultery. I mean, he was hardly a model believer in any way, shape or form. Yet what he had was a passion for God. 
And when you have a passion for God, God says, now there's someone I can use. Now there's someone I can flow through. Now there's someone that I can work my spirit through them to transform the community around them. And God wants you and me to be people of passion. Blessed, he says, are those who are passionate for righteousness. For they will be filled. It will look different in each of us. You know, Mother Teresa was a woman of passion. A woman that just, but quietly just got on with it, didn't she? Billy Graham, a man of passion. You know? And we could go through the whole of Christian history and choose people, Martin Luther and others, people of passion. Very, very different people. But God used the gifts and abilities and used them to transform others, transform situations, to bring the kingdom of God solely because they were available to him and had that kind of passion. What about you? And what about me? God wants you, asks you, almost pleads with us to be people of passion. People that just not only sing it on a Sunday, not only just jump up and down and, yeah, but actually on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're just as passionate for Him. We're just as desperate for the things of God. That we revolve our life around, we change it where it needs changing so that we can maintain, that we can demonstrate that passion that we have for God. I want you to look at your life. Don't leave here today and go for coffee until you've had a look. And answer this, how passionate are you for God? Only you can answer that. How passionate really are you for God? Look at the choices that you make. Look at the time that you spend. Look at the priority list that you have in your life. What does that say about your passion? Because God says, you know what, I'm here waiting to fill you. I'm waiting to use you like you've never been used before. I want to perform so many things in you and through you, I want to transform you. So that you can be transformational to everybody around you. But first, you've got to hunger and thirst for the things of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this promise. That you are going to pour out your blessing upon us when we are passionate for you. Because when we're passionate, it's like we rip open our lives, our hearts, our, our minds, and we just say, Lord, fill me, use me. I'm yours. And then you say, finally, my son or my daughter, now, now I can use you. Now I can bless you and make you a blessing to others. Now I can transform you and so that you are a transformation to other people's lives. Finally. Because he stands at the door of our hearts, our lives, and knocks and knocks and knocks and said, please let me in.
Lord, this morning. I ask that you would just help us as we, we're going to re-sing that as the deer. As we re-sing that together. Lord, as we just sit, show us where we are with you. If we need to do some business with you, if we need to say, Lord, actually I'm going the wrong way. I'm not putting you first in my life. I'm not as passionate for you as I should be. Transform us. Forgive us. Relight that fire within us. That we become passionate for you. Lord, if we are passionate, stoke it up even more. We want that fire to be burning even brighter and brighter. We want to be like Moses. That says, it's never enough. There is more and more and more of you that I can have in my life. I want it all, Lord. Everything that you want to give me, give it to me. And may it begin today.